Hello, it's David here. Did you know you can subscribe to The Leader? That way you can get every episode delivered to you at 4pm, ready for you to listen to whenever you like. It's easy and it's free. Just hit the subscribe button on your podcast provider. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. On the 75th anniversary of the Hiroshima bomb, we look at its legacy and ask what if one fell on London now? If a nuclear bomb was dropped at the top end of Oxford Street, everything within this two kilometre radius disappears instantly. Roads, shops, trees, people, gone. Nuclear war expert Sophie McCormack tells us about the unthinkable and how it must be avoided. And... Lockdown when everybody was at home, meant it was less likely there would be a terrorist attack. Clearly, as we're coming back into more normal existence, those opportunities present themselves again. Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham as Scotland Yard investigates 800 counter-terrorism leads. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the 75th anniversary of the Hiroshima bomb. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. There was the most vivid, most awful flash a terrible booming noise and a feeling of hot wind and air. These are the first-hand accounts of survivors of two nuclear bombs detonated by the US over Hiroshima and Nagasaki 75 years ago this week. I went up to the hillside and took a panorama view of the city and found whole city on the fire. The end of the World Exhibition by the Imperial War Museum reflects on the impacts of the attacks that killed 140,000 people instantly and flattened two cities. The survivors now have an urgent message for their government do more to ban nuclear weapons. Those that exist today are much more powerful than those used in Japan, so what would happen if a nuclear attack happened in 2020 in a city like London? The Evening Standard's Bonnie Christian asked nuclear policy analyst Sophie McCormack from the Institute for Security and Technology, who also works with BASIC, the British American Security and Information Council. 
If London was under attack, how much warning would someone like the Prime Minister get? It depends on where that nuclear weapon is coming from. Um, so from which country that's being launched, which type of nuclear weapon. Um, we're normally talking minutes um, rather than hours. So you can have early warning systems, but if you think about the trajectory of these weapons, how far they can travel, how fast they travel, and the damage that they cause when they hit, if you're warned about a nuclear weapon, it's going to hit you within a couple of minutes. There is literally nothing you can do about it. You need to decide what are you going to do. Are you going to launch a nuclear weapon back? Would the weapons we have today be enough to wipe out the entire city of London? How do they compare to 75 years ago? We're talking thousands of times more destruction, more potency. So not only are there more nuclear weapons in the world, the destruction and actually the precision of the ones that we have now are thousands of times greater than the ones dropped in 1945. How far away would those impacts be felt? The first stage is you get a you get a fireball. So this is within a second. So in a millisecond, a fireball that's hotter than the sun, so something that we can't really appreciate, appears. This will grow to approximately two kilometres. So to put it in context, if a nuclear bomb was dropped at the top end of Oxford Street, that two kilometre fireball would reach the other end of Oxford Street. So everything within this two kilometre radius disappears instantly. Roads, shops, trees, people, gone. The light that this explosion creates is what we call a flash. This light reaches all over London. If you happen to be within this millisecond looking in the direction of the explosion, then you would be blinded probably for the rest of the day because the light is so strong. This light is also so hot that it creates a thermal pulse. And then everything within a 13 kilometer radius is wiped out. So again, taking Oxford Street as an example, the radius northwest would, would reach Wembley Stadium. So this, this sounds bad enough, but the heat and pressure created by the explosion is so strong that everything within a 500 square kilometre radius of that top end of Oxford Street would catch fire. So anything that can burn would burn. So that also would include people. Then you get a shockwave. So the shockwave, this again happens within seconds. So the first bit's milliseconds, second bit seconds. This shockwave expands it faster than the speed of sound. It's caused by the heat and the compressed air at the centre of the explosion. The impact of the shockwave is so immense that if you think of Hurricane Katrina and then add some, and then everything within a 175 square kilometre radius of Oxford Street would collapse from that shockwave. And then the third stage would be within a couple of minutes, you get a fireball. So that classic image that we all associate with a nuclear explosion is that mushroom cloud. It reaches a couple of kilometers up into the sky. And that's so strong that it sucks everything, all of the air from across London, it sucks it in so fast that as it's putting it in, it pulls down any buildings that happen to be left standing within that radius. As you said, we've all seen that classic picture of the mushroom cloud towering over the city, but if you're standing underneath it, what does that look like? The pressure causes mass firestorms within a 21 kilometre radius, again, 21 kilometres of Oxford Street, 
huge firestorms and if you think obviously it all depends on cities but like london's a very developed city so we've got loads of fuel there's loads of points that are that are very flammable so the strength of a firestorm in london would be especially acute but then obviously there's also the aftermath one of the quotes that i find most useful with this is that a nuclear explosion is like every natural disaster happening at once for the people that do manage to survive what would the aftermath be like for them so for the next few hours and even days the the people who have managed to survive this will of course be temporarily blinded and deafened by the explosion but then they could have injuries from glass shattering from buildings collapsing and because you can't get there are there's no infrastructure anymore all of the hospitals have gone and all of the transport in and out of london all of those routes have also gone so people who are suffering with minor to major or probably more major injuries are likely to then die over the next hours and days from their injuries because you can't get in any help and you can't get around because there are no there are no clear roads anymore everything is flattened on there and then of course the one that everyone always thinks about is all of the radiation so the radiation is so strong that it basically then kind of like isolates the city because even if there is help around that could get in the radiation is so strong that it's not safe for them to do so. The survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki are calling for more to be done to ban nuclear weapons. Is this something that we could see happen? In the short term, absolutely not. The five nuclear states that signed up to the non-proliferation treaty, so Russia, France, UK, US and China, one of the pillars of that treaty is to work towards disarmament. However, when you think of how many nuclear weapons there are in the world, you've got those five nuclear states, but then you've got four nuclear armed states, so states that have got nuclear weapons outside of the non-proliferation treaty. And the, the states that have them see those nuclear weapons as pretty intrinsic to their security. The amount that needs to change in terms of how we achieve our security or how we perceive that we secure our, our, um, secure our security, as well as the logistics of there are so many nuclear weapons in the world, how would you go about getting rid of them? It's not suddenly saying, okay, cool, let's all get rid of them. They're all there. What, what do you do with them? States with nuclear weapons say they are committed to working towards disarmament, but the logistics behind achieving that are very complex. Next. Commander Smith talks about 800 live investigations they're pursuing, which is an awful lot, of course, and more than it used to be. Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham on his exclusive interview with Scotland Yard's counter-terrorism chief. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Scotland Yard's counter-terrorism chief is urging Londoners to be on the alert for potential extremists, and he's warning a new attack on the capital is likely. Our editorial column says it's a reminder that lockdown shouldn't see us let our guard down. The horror of coronavirus has taken our minds off other serious threats to London, but that doesn't mean they have gone away. Scotland Yard's counter-terrorism chief has told the Evening Standard that security services are currently investigating 800 different leads into potential attackers and that there is still a real threat. The danger comes from right-wing extremists as well as the supporters of Islamic State. London has already suffered two attacks in the last nine months. We must hope that another does not take place and back those who are working to keep us safe. Commander Richard Smith spoke to our Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham, who's with me now. And Martin, I would have thought that lockdown and all the restrictions that involves would have made it harder for terrorist acts to be carried out. But that's not the case at all, is it? I think the the, the message that uh, Commander Smith wants to put out, and indeed others in the counterterrorism world, is that, of course, lockdown when everybody was at home, meant it was less likely there would be a terrorist attack simply because people weren't in the type of crowded places where uh, now, unfortunately, attacks often tend to take place. Clearly, as we're coming back into more normal existence, those opportunities uh, present themselves again. And the effect of the lockdown has been twofold. One is that people have always spent more time at home, so potentially there's more time for some people to become radicalised online and so on and in particular the other concern is that they've spent less time interacting with other people who might normally have spotted that they've become radicalized and they're talking about following up 800 live leads at the moment martin is there a worry that as the lockdown restrictions are lifted an attack is imminent well, I mean, clearly we've just had in the last few weeks a very big convictions of people who are committing uh, very serious acts of terrorism. One, uh, Sophia um, Sheikh, who wanted to blow up St Paul's Cathedral in a hotel, and then Musa Chowdhury, who has uh, just been convicted and sentenced to life for a, a plot again to attack the gay pride event in London and other tourist sites. So there are real examples anyway of people committing serious crimes and then underlying it there are ongoing arrests and so on. And these are, and these are the only ones that we, in essence we know about and come into the public domain because they've been foiled. And the, the, the big message of course that the police certainly want to, Commander Smith wanted to put out is that what is often crucial in this is alerts from the public, ordinary people coming in with information about somebody who they spotted looking as if they have changed in their, in their behaviour and maybe posing a, a threat of doing something um, you know, terrorist in this case. Has the lockdown itself made things harder for police to track things down, to investigate and to really carry out their jobs? Well, I think certainly people have been behind the scenes. Clearly, there are, for the people that are known about the, the very high end, there are 
the surveillance powers that allow surveillance of people within their own homes, frankly, um, and via their computers and laptops and their phones and, and so on. Uh, but you're talking there about the very high end, but it's also the people they don't know about <laughs> who they would hope to be able to know about uh, who have been out of sight and, and potentially changing in their nature in a very dramatic way uh, away from the public eye. And that's Alida. You can keep up with all the latest developments with the Evening Standards live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Music.